The reading this morning is from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 4, reading from the first verse. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction doesn't reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we give you thanks. Uh, We give you thanks for your words. We give you thanks for Paul. And uh, I pray now, that you would fill each of us with your spirit. Help us to hear what you would speak to us this morning through these words and by your spirit. Amen. Amen. So uh, the week before last, Jess and I were in Jersey, and we did a lot of walking. I uh, checked my exercise tracker yesterday, and uh, we walked, well, I walked, and I don't know how, yeah, Jess was next to me, so she probably walked slightly more steps than I did, 142,699 steps, which is almost 120 kilometers, or if you want it in old money, 75 miles across the week. It was a nice relaxing holiday. (laughs) When we arrived in Jersey at the start of the week, it was just the beginning. We didn't realize how much walking we were going to be doing across the week, how many steps we take, how many miles we would end up walking. That's probably why we look so happy. (laughs) The Christian life, though, is a little bit like that. Salvation is the beginning, the first step on a long, a lifelong journey of faith. Salvation is a gift. It is a free gift from God. Forgiveness, new life, adoption, into God's family. These things are all free and they're a gift and they are the beginning. And it's so important that we allow that truth, that that is a gift that we don't need to earn. So important we allow that truth to go deep within our hearts. 
equally important is the truth that every area of our lives is renewed and transformed. They're the following steps. That we learn to live the family way. That we grow in holiness, walking with Jesus and one another. That's why so often there's a dividing line between the first half and the second half of the letter. And that's pretty common in Paul's letters. In the first half, he often looks back either to his visit or to some foundational truths of the Christian faith. And uh, here in 1 Thessalonians, he does a bit of both, in fact. Then in the second half of the letter, Paul often looks ahead, either dealing with maybe a current situation or what needs to happen next, or helping us see how the truth of the gospel that he talked about in the first half of the letter works itself out in practice in the second half how we can live or walk by the gospel. The gospel is not only for preaching, it is also for living. Or to put it another way, the gospel is for talking and for walking. Christians are free from the requirement to keep God's law to be accepted by him. But we are still called and commanded to keep his moral law and commandments. We are set free but for a purpose, to be holy. That's what these verses are about. They're all about holiness. Now, last week, I and a small working group of people from church met for the first time to look at the report of the Leadership Away Day that we had about a month ago. Many of you were there for that. We're going to meet to talk about that over the coming weeks and then present something to the PCC and the whole church at the end of November. And we began that day away by giving thanks to God for all that had gone before, for different groups, for people, for God's faithfulness. We did that because it's good. It's good to say thank you. It's good to talk, and it? It's good to say thank you. But also because this process, this away day process, is not about wiping away everything that's gone before and starting again from scratch. It's about building and developing on what's already there, what we already have. And that's the way Paul talks to the Thessalonians. And if you have your Bible opens, it's page 1187 in the church Bibles, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, Verse 1, Paul says this, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. They weren't nowhere. They weren't starting from scratch. They didn't need to wipe everything away and start again, but neither had they got there yet. Neither had they arrived at their destination. Neither were they perfect. Paul carries on, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. What you are doing, Paul says, do it more and more. Be more faithful. Be more loving. Be more generous. Be more gracious. Be more like Jesus, Paul says. More and more. It's not about earning God's love, but responding to what he has done for us in Jesus, what he has given us. If you don't believe me, verse 4 of chapter 1. So before he tells them how to live, he says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. We begin loved and chosen. We respond by living more like Jesus more and more. Now, I presume most of you have given someone a present in your life. I hope so. How does it make you feel when you see them unwrap it and use it? Make you feel good? 
Yeah, a few nods. It's like that with God. It brings him great pleasure when he sees us using and growing in the life that he's given us. When he sees us turning away from the old life and living the new life that he's given us. When we turn towards him. When he sees us showing Jesus in our words and our lives. It brings him such pleasure. That's why Paul says, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. He loves it when we take the gift he gives us of life and live it out. So friends, let us do that more and more. Now, uh, Jess and I had baked potatoes for tea a couple of nights ago. We started them off in the microwave for a few minutes to soften them up, to then put them in the oven so that the skin would crisp up. I don't know if that's how you do it, but that's, that's how we do it. When the microwave pinged, I opened the door to get them, to put them in the oven, and I put it in my hand and... Ouch. Potatoes are really hot, aren't they? <laughs> I had to fetch the oven gloves in order to put them in the oven. Now, these next few verses are a different kind of hot potato. (laughs) See what I did there? (laughs) Sexuality has long been a place where church and culture have clashed through the ages. It was true in Paul's day, and it's true in our day. Over the next few weeks, in fact, the bishops of the Church of England will be meeting to discuss whether to change the Church of England's teaching on marriage to include same-sex unions. And actually in March, we've booked someone to come and speak to us as a church family to help us start to think through some of those issues and discuss what that might mean. A hot potato is a situation or a subject that people disagree strongly about but don't want to talk about it or deal with it. And it seems to me that this is one of those. However, much as we might like to, we can't simply bury our heads in the sand and hope it goes away. We have to learn how to disagree without falling apart. We have to look to see what God tells us in his word. And what's really important about this passage is the way Paul frames the teaching on sexual immorality. See in verse 3 he mentions it, you should avoid it. He uses two brackets to make sure that we see where this teaching comes from, the context that it fits into. So first, we have authority. Verse 2, it's helpful. If you, if you have a Bible open, it's helpful to see what I'm actually doing here. Verse 2, you'll see it says, well, you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And then the end of the bracket comes in verse 8. Anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. That means that everything inside that bracket, everything inside that there, comes from God's authority, not Paul's. This is not something that he has made up. This is something that comes from God, the author of life, telling his people how best to use the gift of life that he's given and has given his spirit to help us live it. So the first bracket is authority, Jesus' authority. The second, and this is really, really important, is holiness. Again, if you look in your Bible, you'll see verse 3. Inside that first bracket, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And then verse 7, inside the second bracket, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. The word sanctified is a posh word. for It means become holy. In other words, we are commanded by God. It is God's will, 
And God calls us to live a holy life. Holiness is not an optional extra for for church leaders. When they made me a vicar, they didn't check on my holiness. It's a good job, really, to be honest. (laughs) There is this crazy phrase where someone says, of whose godly conversation and holiness we are assured, Ben. I was like, godly conversation? It's not me. (laughs) Holiness is not an optional extra. It's not just for church leaders like me and some of you. It's not for super keen Christians like I'm sure all of you are. All God's people have a purpose, every single one of us, and that is to live a holy life. I wonder if you have asked that question, what's God's will for my life? When we ask questions like that, I think we often mean things like, does God want me to live here? Or God, does God want me to go and work over there? Or God, does God want me to do this? They are important questions. But actually, sometimes we spend so much time on them, they become a bit of a smokescreen for what God is calling all of us to do, which is to live a holy life. So we've got those two brackets, which means that everything inside those brackets comes from God's authority and is about God's holiness. If you've been a Christian for a while, you'll know that that is not easy. It's not easy to live a holy life. But it's not for me anyway. Does anyone find that easy? (laughs) It's really, really hard. And it's not something that we will ever actually achieve. Jesus has done that for us because we can't do it. We are a work in progress. Sometimes I think I want a sign to hang around my neck that just says, work in progress on it. So Paul's teaching on living as God's people, chosen and loved, remember, by God is bracketed by two things. God's people live under his authority and his command, and God wills and calls his people to be holy. Within those two things come Paul's teaching on living as God's people. One aspect of which, one aspect of which is our sexuality. Now, if all Liverpool FC supporters were like me, Anfield would be empty every week, apart from the away fans, because I've never been, not once. They'd make very little money from shirt sales, because I don't have one, and I've never bought one. Their TV viewing figures wouldn't be up to much either, because we don't have Sky. Um, Most fans probably couldn't name the first team, because I can't. be honest, I'm not much of a fan, am I? Though I am enough of a fan to know that Forrest beat us yesterday. (laughs) And Alan was there. There are lots of things that go into making up a football fan. Here's a few of them. Buying a replica shirt, going to matches, watching on TV, following scores and team news during the week, watching the manager give press conferences and so on. There's all sorts of things that go into making a genuine football fan. Following the scores on the BBC Sport page and doing little else like me, that makes for a very poor fan. There's more to it than that. In the same way, there are loads of things that go into making a holy life. For a child of God. Things like prayer, reading the Bible, not gossiping about other people. That's a hard one. Serving and using our gifts inside and outside the church. Not giving in to anger or temptation. They're pretty hard as well. Maybe fasting, giving generously. Many of us do. And so on. It's a big list. That's just a few of them. Some of the things we should do Some are things that we need to avoid. And one of those, the Bible tells us, is sexual immorality. Avoid it, Paul says. Although actually, the word is stronger than avoid. It's a word for cutting something off. 
Cut it off, he says. Don't go anywhere near it. Paul continues in verse 4 and 5 by contrasting the self-control in holiness in an honourable way of God's people with the passionate lust, he says, of the pagans. Verse 4 is actually extremely hard to translate. The word, uh, it says control your own body in our versions. If you look at the footnote, it might say learn to live with your own wife or learn to acquire a wife. It's a word that only appears here in the New Testament, and the word means vessel. So there are one or two examples of that meaning wife, in a fairly negative sense, one or two examples of it meaning body. But the verb doesn't fit with either of those, and the best, the best solution I found, and I'm afraid to say it like this, is Paul was using a euphemism, basically saying, keep it in your pants. <laughs> that is what I think Paul is saying here in first century Greek euphemisms. And he was also most likely talking about a specific situation. Most of Paul's ethical teaching was prompted by a specific circumstance. Uh, People were doing something or not doing something, and he needed to teach into that situation. Now, we don't know what that situation is. It it perhaps may be from verse 6. It may be that someone was taking advantage of someone else in the church, perhaps someone who was vulnerable. It is ever so important that we make sure that people who are vulnerable are looked after and kept safe and not abused by others. That is really important. But what we do know is that Paul took it seriously. And he took it seriously because God takes it seriously. Verse 6, one of those hard verses. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. Now, that doesn't mean that God will only punish these sins and everything else is fine. That's not at all what Paul says here. Paul had to say this because the culture of the day celebrated things like promiscuity and prostitution and all sorts of other things. Coming out of that world, the Thessalonians had to learn that those things are not part of holiness. They are not part of living a holy life for God's people. They do not please God, to use the language of verse 1. And they needed to avoid them, to get rid of them. Now, there is so much more to say about this, and I haven't even really scratched the surface this morning. These things touch some of our deepest desires, for some of us, our deepest hurts. And that's why, although there is much more to holiness than sexual immorality that Paul talks about here, Paul does single it out here and in other places. He does that because he knows it is one of, if not the most difficult area for God's people to grow in holiness. It's really, really hard. As I said, there's much more to say. Um, I don't expect everyone in this church to agree with me on everything that I think in this area. In the same way, that I expect anyone to agree with me on any area of faith, if I'm honest. If, if you think you agree with me on everything, you're probably wrong. <laughs> there are one or two foundational things I hope we can agree on, things like the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Trinity maybe, the work of the Holy Spirit. But beyond that, I know that I will disagree with all of you on at least something, even if it's as little as how big an emphasis we put on it. Because we are not all the same. 
And none of us is perfect. None of us is 100% right on anything. And that includes me. But I do expect us, myself included, to treat others, even those with whom we disagree strongly, to do so with humility, compassion, and grace. Seeking to listen first before explaining. One of the things I think we will probably do to help us with the warm welcome is to do some listening skills. Because so often we're quick to jump in with something about us when someone's sharing something about them. We need to shut up and let them speak. To let them say what's on their hearts. We need to listen first and not to explain. And I do expect us, myself included, to take God's word seriously and to trust that God knows best. Even the bits that are challenging and difficult to understand or to put into practice. And I do expect us to live and grow in holiness together. Friends, if this were easy, the Bible would be a couple of pages long and God's people would be perfect already. But it's not and we aren't. But if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, at least we'll be heading in the right direction together. Even when we disagree, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. If you want to talk to me about any of this, please do. I won't engage by email, but I will respond to an email to arrange to see you face-to-face if this is something you'd like to talk to me about. I think it's better to happen in conversation face-to-face. I'd like to end as Paul does by talking about love. In Greek, there are four words for love, and the one Paul used here in verse 9, is family love. It's used to describe the love between brothers and sisters, such as it is. There we go. (laughs) Sometimes happy, sometimes less so. This wasn't something new that they needed to start doing. Have a look in verse 9 with me. Uh, About your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And then over the page, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Here comes that phrase again. What you are already doing, do it more and more. What's interesting is that unlike holiness, where Paul has to spell out what it might look like in a particular area, in practice, he doesn't need to tell them how to love one another. God's already taught them in their hearts, by his spirit, what it means to love. They simply need to do it more and more. One of the best things about Christchurch, I think, and I've only been here a year, but you know, is the way we love one another. There was a great example of that last week. And there are some thanks in this week's update from Sue. Brothers and sisters, I don't need to tell you how to love one another, but I urge you to do it more and more and more and more. And don't only love one another, but love those outside our church family too. The warm welcome is a fantastic way in which we'll be loving our community and welcoming them in to to love alongside us this winter. And like all such things, I see it as mission in two different ways. Firstly, sharing God's love in a practical way is important. There are people who will be really hungry and cold this winter, and I hope that our opening a couple of times a week will help them. God has blessed us with this modern, comfortable, warm building. I mean, I feel like I didn't need my jumper on today. (laughs) I'm delighted that we're able to share it with people this winter. 
Even if they don't want to know anything about Jesus, I don't care, they can still come and be warm and fed. That is a good thing to do. But second, it is important to remember that we're not an aid agency. (laughs) We are a church. And although people do need to be warm and fed, what everybody needs, most of all, is Jesus. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 5. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. My hope and prayer is that this winter we can grow some relationships and maybe begin to build some bridges. Bridges that will one day, as Kathy said to me this week, be strong enough to carry the gospel. It might take years, it might take weeks, it might take hours. Building bridges strong enough to carry the gospel. And I think that's one of the things Paul was getting at here when he talks about living a quiet life so that we may win the respect, verse 12, of outsiders. That's important because otherwise they're never going to listen to the good news about Jesus that we have to tell people. As we learn to walk and talk the gospel, as we learn to live and grow in holiness under God's authority, as we share God's love with all and hopefully win their respect, may God our Father be glorified this winter and beyond. By the way we live and the love we show, I pray that many will want to find out more and perhaps be willing to hear about Jesus, to hear the good news that they can be forgiven and have new life in him. To do any of that, we need help, and lots of it. So I want to encourage us to pray this winter that prayer I introduced a few months ago. Come, Holy Spirit, be poured out on us, fill us, and make us new. Let's stand, and I'm going to pray that for us now. I've said some tough stuff this morning. You may be churning inside. You might not care. You might be nervous about this winter. You might be unsure about how we can possibly keep the building open all that time. I don't know, however you're feeling. Let us hold out our hands and pray, come Holy Spirit. Be poured out on us. Fill us and make us new. Calm the turmoil within with the presence of your peace. And help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who has gone before us so we can come home. Lord, we praise and bless you this morning and ask that wherever we are, whatever we are doing, We might do it in your strength and by your spirit, not our own. Amen.